Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch, and with me, as always, is the lovely Joe. The lovely Joe. I don't know, I've been watching the Play School 50th anniversary thing. I just had a bit of a Play School presentation thing going on. Was that the one where they got all the celebrities to come back? No, that's all... Well, celebrities come back or celebrities well, no, I saw covers. an ad the other day. Yeah, covers. No, that's friend. just going on during the weeks. Okay. But there was an actual 50th anniversary special. Do you remember before we had kids and we used to talk about other things that weren't kids shows? No. 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 Oh. <laughs> that's all I think about now. Oh, well. Mm. Mm. How you be? Yeah, good. Excellent. Excellent. Shall we jump in? Why not? I'm in a hurry. You're in a hurry? Well, People know. listening are in a hurry. Well, they are. They're listening on double speed if they know what's good for them. Yeah. Yes. We sound so much better in at least time and a half. Mm. At least. All right. Shall we jump into gaming? Why not? Have no, you been gaming? I have been On the playing Xbox? One game in particular. One. I mentioned last month that I had started Far Cry 3. You hated Far Cry 3. Yes, I got over that, mm. and I totally immersed myself in Far Cry 3, and I have now finished Far Cry 3. How much? 25 hours. Is that all? Yeah. You must be better than me, because I'm pretty sure I clocked up 40-odd hours in I, I think I probably haven't collected all that much stuff, but I've finished all the missions. I've done all of the hunting side missions, but I haven't done a lot of the bounty hunter type side missions, because yep. I figured they were only going to get me money and a bit of prestige, whereas the hunting missions gave me tiger skin for extra bits and pieces and stuff so yeah i like it i kept thinking to myself while i was playing it surely i've got to be getting there you know i'm almost at the end i'm almost at the end and then i realized i was what 20 hours in or something and i still hadn't got to the south island but then once i got to the south island the the main missions were quite long missions but then once you've done them you've done them and it progresses quite nicely cool yeah i i was a little bit annoyed with i think it was the second last mission where it's a like a quick time knife fight Mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, this can't be the final bit. You know, that they won't screw me with a, a shitty yeah. ending. But luckily there was another bit after that that was all right. And boobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any quick time in the boobs. But no. yeah, that quick time knife fight, because I wasn't overly concentrating when it first started, yeah. I had to do it a couple of times before I got the rhythm right. But yeah, I liked it. The rhythm of the night? Yes. Corona? Debate. Was what? it? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, I liked it. And I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it, because considering... Probably an hour in, I was going to give it up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now it's That's why you're not a doctor. Probably. What's that, five years from medical school? Yeah. Not that I ever went to university anyway, but yes. So, yeah, I think next is probably Far Cry 4. You're going to jump straight into that? Maybe. I cool. don't know. I, I recommend it, but yeah. Probably. While you're in the zone. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of tempted to go back and finish Blood Dragon, but I think that might be a bit too much, because I think I'm about halfway through Blood Dragon, but I don't know. Finish it, it's only five hours. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Maybe I should. All right, but yeah, that's my game. Cool. That's it. Yeah. No memble. A little bit of, probably not much Champions. I've been back into Supercard a little bit more, Mm -hmm. because Champions is being a bit of a bastard, and uh, I think I may have mentioned this on one of the other episodes, that since one of the updates, I now have to turn off my internet, start the game, wait for the warning to come up and say you need internet to play this game, turn my internet back on and then it loads. It won't load straight away. So that in itself is putting me off playing it. So yeah, I found I'm I'm playing Supercard a bit more and I was playing a little bit of Scribblenauts again on the iPad, which I haven't played for probably two years. Yeah. But now that my my son's a bit older, he's nine now, he can understand a bit more of the typing and stuff. So I was showing him how to play Scribblenauts and he quite liked it. And then after he finished playing it, I went back and played probably a good couple of hours of Scribblenauts on the iPad. Yeah. Excellent. So yes, kind of fun. But anyway, yeah, that's my gaming. I borrowed Red Dead Redemption off you. 
with you talking about Tomb Raider and Far Cry. I'm like, eh, Red Dead's a bit like that. Maybe I'll give that a go. So I loaded it in, played it for about an hour, did the, pre- the intro pretty much that you go through, and that's as far as I got. It's not that it's bad, it's just I haven't got really around to it. And then the free game for the Xbox Gold members was Tron this week. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll download that. That that always interests me at the time. Like, the movie was a bit hokum, but, and the game didn't get the greatest review, but it looked kind of snazzy. So I thought, I'll give that a go. And if it's nice and short, I love my short tie-in games that are always terrible. So I've, I've again, done about the same that I've done in Red Dead Redemption. I've done that, like, the first hour or so tutorial. So can't really report back much on either of those, but I've started them. I enjoyed Red Dead when I played it, but mm. I found it got a bit too samey. I think I was probably about 10 or 15 hours in, and I just thought, well, the mission structure's pretty much the same. It's go here and kill this dude, or go that's here and collect that guy. Yeah, and That's what I liked in Far Cry. I don't know. But the mechanics in Far Cry are just perfect. It is. And there was a lot of glitches, apparently, in Red Dead, but I never saw any of them. Okay. Uh, there's a few sort of game design errors, like a couple of stages you'll be riding your horse and you'll pull out your shotgun and try and shoot someone and you'll actually shoot your horse in the back of the head. But, but other than that, at least you can skin it and <laughs> you get some horse flesh. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did enjoy it and I was in a real Western kick when I played Red yep. Dead, so maybe that helped. Hmm. I'll, I'll get to it, but I think, yeah, Tron will be a quick game. So I'll finish that and then I'll go back to Red Dead. That's my plan anyway. Cool. And I've decided I think I want an Xbox One for Christmas. Well, now that the Slim is coming out, I yeah. think the older Xbox Ones will be No, I'm going to go to Slim. I'm not going to go. Well, Aldi's got 280 bucks for an Xbox One coming out. Really? Mm, they're re- refurbished. Okay. But it's like, mm, they're 500 gig. Yeah, and I think 500 gig you would burn through pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, so I was like, oh, just go the Xbox S One S thingy Slim and get the two terabit and be done with it for 550 because I mean this has lasted me five years six years what are we on I think so and I think well hopefully that'll last what me again it, was it 2009 we got our Xboxes could have been I don't know it was a bloody long time ago yeah. and I know back when we did episode one of this podcast was when both of us got our connects yeah so that's four years ago yeah okay at least yeah so yeah maybe it is I time think it's time. time I think it's time well something that I think may push me in the direction of moving on. Gears of War 4 is coming out exclusively to the Xbox One. And looking at some of the ads for WWE 2K17, there was no mention of Xbox 360. The the last WWE game was different to the one that came out on the Xbox One. It was a different engine and different creator character options and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe it is time to jump. Moving on. What I don't like, though, is the fact that you can't really stream media through it like you do with an xbox or 360 so maybe i will have to keep Keep the 360 wired up and have the other one as well because pretty much all of my tv watching streaming from the computer and stuff like that is done through my 360 yeah so it will be a big change and one of the reasons why i never upgraded to windows 10 is because my kids have got used to being able to do windows media for streaming yeah and windows media doesn't work with windows 10 so the fact that i've got my kids able to you know, get up on a Saturday morning and turn the TV on and put their own TV show on without me having to get up and do it for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite a bonus. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's time. It's time. It probably is time. It's time. Well, speaking of TV... Yeah? That's probably a good segue to jump into television. Yes, you've been watching much? I have been watching a couple of things. Yeah. 
one of them more kid-related than the others. As I mentioned on last month's show, my five-year-old is absolutely nuts on dinosaurs. And after discussion with you, not on air last month, but just talking about dinosaur programs in general that are on, you mentioned a Netflix show called Dino Trucks. Yep, with an X. With With an X, yes, which is kind of dinosaurs mixed with monster trucks yeah they're robot dinosaurs robot dinosaurs yeah very transformery looking but they don't actually transform Hmm. but there's 10 episodes of that that were on netflix and it's also on kiss cartoon which is where we watched Mm -hmm. and we have now watched all 10 episodes probably at least three times each oh okay so yes my five-year-old really likes it and i must say it's one of those things that some shows he will put on and i will just sort of have on in the background and I won't be paying attention to but I actually found myself pretty riveted to it so oh, that's good yeah it's, it's DreamWorks animation yes so it is good quality animation the stories are pretty good dinosaurs making car washes and garages for themselves out of like bits of rock and stuff is pretty plausible as a gimmick I guess <laughs> But no, it's fun. But yeah, I enjoyed that. But other than that, I've been finally catching up with the end of Game of Thrones this season. Mm -hmm. I think the last episode had probably aired on TV when we recorded last month, but I hadn't actually caught up. But I had a bit of a binge watch and I watched the last four episodes in one day. Man, they were good. They were. Mm. And I think you may have mentioned it yourself, either on our show or on uh, your other show, Geek Dudes. Mm Mm-hmm. You said it felt more like written for TV than written for the novel. And yeah. I tend to agree. It just, just seemed to pace like a TV show better. Like each episode had its key moments as opposed to previous seasons where it was following a very loose following of the novel and things might not happen for two, three episodes. People were missing for a oh, bit. They still had this... that. They still had like whole episodes where. But it just progressed in a nicer palatable yep. way it seemed to hit marks more often i definitely to- i think so because i know with other series it was more like episode nine out of the 10 episode stretch was like the real big one and then they'd kind of wrap it up a little bit in the in the last one and prepare for the next one but probably there was something in all of the last four that was like a, a real every big episode had moments there might have been two or three in the middle well um, let's talk a few spoilers here so just give people a bit well we're, we're probably a month removed but from if when you it was still on. if you're not up to date but just to go forward a couple of minutes and it'll only be short yeah but just seeing um the hound come back was a pop oh, yeah. i saw that's like, oh awesome then because ian mcshane was they said he was going to turn up in the show i'm thinking oh great who's he going to play he turns up in an episode it's like oh great you know schwerington's here and he's dead by the next ev- issue it's like what was the big well, deal was dead of he oh, was, was like hanging one. by his neck later in that episode. Was it that one? So yeah. it was only in one episode. Yeah, and it's just like, oh. But then it's like, oh, but that means we've got an angry hound now. That's exactly. Cool. And the hound did have a couple of great lines in mm. that episode. So it, it felt very TV in that way that you had returning of characters. And I'm sure all these are right. You know, the, the, nothing's done without George well, R. R. Martin says so. I don't think the hound comes back in the books, though. Well, he hasn't yet. Yeah, and that whole bit with... Hodor and hold the door and yeah, that hold was all, that was stuff. all yeah that was George all TV Arrow. yeah no and that was George R. R. No, Martin it's that not was, in the books not yet but that, okay. was, that was he, that was something he specified this happens this is something he de- definitely said is a thing no that's a George R. R. Martin thing and that was it's always. obviously quite ingrained in popular culture now because we were watching WWE Raw the next week yeah. <laughs> and the New Day were cutting a promo and he did the hold the door Hodor line as well which I thought was quite funny mm. but yeah. That second last episode, that fight scene was just amazing. Just amazing filmmaking. The Battle of the Bastards. Yes. Yeah. That was just wow. Super wow. You could kind of tell even back from the first season, before they'd really really panned out, that Jon Snow was going to be something big. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm glad. Definitely good. Very good. I, I still don't really understand why in that battle 
I think it was either in the second last or the last episode where Daenerys brought in the dragons. Mm-hmm. All the dragons just only attacked one ship in that whole armada. It was like they could have just it was gone a demonstration. Out. Why? Because she was taking, going to probably take over those ships. Yeah. And if you are going to take those ships, you destroy one as a demonstration, and then they, yeah, no, I don't know. Anyway, yes. All right. So I'm I'm up to date on Game of Thrones. Excellent. I've also started the first episode of another season that I've been kind of keen to watch again, and that's the new run of BattleBots, mm-hmm. which is the battling remote control robot show. And originally, I think it started as such an a nerd English concept. Shut up. Um, a few years ago. It was an English concept called Robot Wars, which mm. Comedy Central then picked up, and it ran hilarious. for hilarious. Yeah, I don't really understand that why, but it ran for a few seasons, and now it's been picked up. Last year, it came back, and this is the second season of the new yep. version of it. Very much now, I think they've got a bit more of a, a premise of what the robots have to be because it got to a stage where they just had flippers. They had like a robot with like a hydraulic arm, and all they would do was go out for each other and you know, get their hooks underneath each other and flip them over. Mm. But now they've got, you know, spinning wheels and discs and saws and all sorts of things to make it interesting. And it kind of is. What really got me, though, is the fact that they, it's produced like a real sort of fighting show. They've got commentators. They've got a, a ring announcer that does it all. They've got, you know, a host. And they've got Alison Hayslip, who's people like us that would have watched Attack, Attack of the, the show. show know from, from that as their after-event interviewer that goes and interviews people. Yep. But what really got me is they've got ex-UFC fighter Kenny Florian as like the colour commentator. <laughs> <laughs> and they commentate it like it's a real sporting event. Well, technically it's a real sport, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I personally think it's worked. No. It, it just comes across a bit too worked for me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Worked, for those people not in the know, is a wrestling term for... It's... it's Scripted. Scripted. Predetermined. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I've only watched the first 90-minute episode so far. I think there's probably been about three or four of this particular season. They're all 90 minutes. The first one's 90 minutes. Oh, the rest of them are only an hour. Still long. That's a lot of telling. Yeah. But it kind of goes quickly. Really? It, it falls into the normal reality TV trope of they kind of interview the teams and you see the backstory and then there's the fight. And you could fast forward through a lot of the crap probably. It was interesting because they had a, an Aussie team. That was kind of like the all-star Aussie team. And it was led by a female nerd mm-hmm. who was actually young and attractive. And I was, watching, I was watching it with my wife and she's like, well, that's just every nerd's wet dream really. <laughs> but yeah, I think I would watch it again. And it was interesting because we were watching it one Sunday afternoon and the kids were sort of floating around. And I'd sort of mentioned that it, we were going to watch it. And my son was like, no, I don't want to watch that. And... By probably halfway through the second match, he was actually, you know, put down the iPad that he was playing and sitting there riveted to the tally and, mm-hmm. you know, rooting for the teams and deciding who he wanted to win. So, yeah, I think we'll continue with that. Mm-hmm. And my only other bit of TV watching that I've been doing is a HBO, I think it is, miniseries called Vinyl or a 10-episode series. So, I don't know if you'd consider that a series or a miniseries. I don't know. But it is set in 1973 and it's based around a dude called Ricky Finestra, who was running American Capitol Records. And it's basically his decline into cocaine addiction and running his record company into the ground. Okay. But it's it's quite interesting. It's very much in my wheelhouse of that sort of early 70s New York. Yep. With the grittiness of New York. It's, 
him running his record label, but also the background of how things are going bad in his marriage, how his record label is going bad because he's into the drugs and stuff. And there's little flashbacks to when he was in the 60s and him and his wife met and they were hanging out with Andy Warhol in the factory days and stuff like that. There's a couple of really good, well-cast people as famous musicians. The episode we just watched, I think we're up to episode six out of the ten, and David Bowie was in that particular episode, and the dude they had cast as David Bowie was actually really good. Yep. But no, if you like the whole idea of how the record industry kind of worked, and you like gritty 70s New York, you'd probably get a bit of a kick out of it. Yeah, maybe. It is a little bit frenetic, because they keep having these little sort of side flashbacks where they have someone pretend they're a famous artist, and they have like a minute of a famous song. And they then, it's hard to explain, but they kind of then turn that back into the show itself like they'll be playing a song and then they'll walk into the room and you'll see that the radio's on with that song playing and strange transitions and some of his drug-fueled rampages are a little bit hard to follow but I guess if you're on cocaine it would be hard to follow these things yep but yeah I'm really digging it and despite the fact that I don't like Ray Romano he's in it as one of the like record company executives and he's actually a pretty good character and I think the only other well-known person in it is probably Olivia Wilde that plays Mm -hmm. Ricky Finestra's wife the dude that plays Ricky Finestra I've seen in something before but I don't think he's a, a big actor but yeah Recommend that? So you don't like Ray. But everyone loves Raven. No, I, I don't like Ray Romano at all. That's so Raven. <laughs> I get confused. The only thing I really liked about Everyone Loves Raymond is his brother. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. yeah. Brad Garrett, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. And I, and I think his parents are pretty cool too. But his wife just shit me. Really? Yeah. I love his wife. Yeah, and I just don't like Ray himself. No. The character doesn't. or him in general. He's just a strange dude from what I know of him. Okay. But yes. That's my television. Mm-hmm. And I notice on the run sheet, you've actually started watching another couple of new shows. I, I, I have. I've utilised that Netflix subscription of mine and a new series that just came out called Stranger Things, which is uh, very much a homage to Spielberg. Set in 1983, it's about a bunch of school kids who play D&D. They're going home after a D&D session. One kid gets... He goes missing. You don't quite... You don't see what took him, but something took him. And it's the fallback with the other three kids trying to work out what happens. Not only has this one kid gone missing, you've had a girl with a shaved head who's just turned up. Mm. And she can communicate, but it's very limited to what she can do. And the, the boys find her while looking for their friend. And they sort of have to keep her a secret because you don't know what the story is. And the government, or you assume it's a government agency of some sort, is chasing after them, after this, this girl. So she's trying to stay secret. They're looking after her. It's that whole don't tell your parents, you know, it's a, that secret kids going on adventure sort of feeling. So it's very Spielbergian, very E.T., um, that sort of thing. Really good so far. Two episodes in. It's Netflix, so it's all there available to me. It's just a matter of when they get around to Finding watching it all. Time. But it's yeah. only like eight or ten episodes, which is perfect. Hmm. And on my Facebook, there seemed to be a bit of a buzz around it. So, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah, I've, I've heard a couple of reviews on a couple of other podcasts, and they seem to think it's quite good. Yeah, so that that's good. And the other hmm. one we just started was a show called a HBO show called The Night Of. It was... James Gandolfini's show he was working on before he died and he'd filmed the pilot so they obviously 
couldn't continue with him, so they replaced him with Don Turturro, who's one of my favourite actors. And I thought, oh, yeah, I love him. It's HBO. I'll give it a go. There's a bit of a buzz around this thing. So the first episode's out at the time of recording. There's only the one episode out. So we watched that last week. And half hour in, I'm going, is this the right show? <laughs> uh, no John Turturro yet. And it's very slowly paced. Like, I'm sitting there watching it with my wife, and she's sort of like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But in the last five, ten minutes is when John Turturro does turn up, and it's like, yeah, this is a show. That's when we... My wife's gone. Mm, I'm intrigued now because he sort of it just sort of played out very slowly at the start it's about a guy he's Middle Eastern of some sort of descent his dad is a taxi driver he wanted to go to a party he's like high school age or young college parents sort of forbid him from going to that party he wanted to go with a friend and they wouldn't drive him so he ended up stealing his dad's car to go to this party and the other thing I did, found a bit unbelievable is he didn't know how the taxi worked or he didn't know his way around New York I was like your dad's a taxi driver you think you'd know yeah like, it's sort of like but anyway he didn't turn off the light and people are trying to hail him all these times and a girl just gets in his cab and she's hot so he ends up taking her to where she wants to go and he ends up spending the night with her and spoilers he wakes up in the morning and he's covered in blood and she's been stabbed the shit out of basically so it's it's from that we'll just leave it at that I mean that's not obviously I'm not spoiling the show because that's the first episode but it's from there going forward very slowly paced that first episode but the start was just really slow and dragged out but then the tension really built nicely. It was still slow, but it was sort of like, ooh, 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 and then John Turturro turned up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Strange choice, though, John Turturro. You wouldn't think him and Gandolfini would be well, that it's not, similar? Well, no, but Gandolfini wouldn't have would have played it differently, but it's also not him playing Tony Soprano. It's I mean, he's playing a lawyer in this, and he's got, like, sandals on, you know, and they're going, I've got psoriasis, you know, don't worry about it. It's not, you know, don't worry about my feet. Worry about your case. Whether Gandolfini would have played the same, I'm not. I'm not really, really not sure. But yes, it's a different, very different physical actor. But maybe the intensity is what they're after. I don't. Could know. be. But yeah, so they're my TV shoes. Alrighty, shall we jump into movies? Why not? I've watched a couple of fairly new releases, but I will start with my older release first. Okay. Going on from my dinosaur theme, uh, I think I mentioned last month that I've seen Jurassic World. Yeah. I've now watched that probably another five times in the last <laughs> month. Yeah. So I know Jurassic World almost for word for word now. But in an effort to kind of wean my son away from Jurassic World, we went and had a look on Kiss Cartoon and just looked for any other movies that were related to dinosaurs. Baby. No? Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Oh. I just typed in the word dinosaur, so that's oh, probably okay. why I didn't come up. But we watched uh, a strange cartoon called Back to the Jurassic, which I wouldn't recommend. Oh, okay. It's about kids i think it's fairly recent it's probably 2013 14 maybe Mm -hmm. but it's about a bunch of kids that make a time machine and send themselves back into jurassic times and jane lynch voices their mum i think she's probably the only name in the show Mm -hmm. but it was all right but i wouldn't recommend it but another movie that i did actually quite like was the disney film dinosaur yep which I had never heard of. Disney's first foray into computer graphics. Yeah, well, ironically, we watched it on a Kiss cartoon, and then the next week there was ads on Disney Junior and Foxtel saying it was going to be the movie of the week, and they were showing it there. Uh-huh. But it was an interesting little story about a... I think he was an iguanodon, if you're interested in dinosaurs, but he... Made up, no. He, well, no, he's a real dinosaur, but his egg kind of gets knocked out of a nest and ends up in a forest with these lemurs, which I'm not sure if lemurs were actually around the same time that dinosaurs were. And he gets adopted by a family of lemurs and raised with them for a little while until a catastrophic event causes their forest to burn down and he joins 
a massive dinosaur migration. But it, the effects in it were well done. The, the graphics were nice and crisp, and yep. the story was pretty good. Talking in it? Yeah. Okay, so... No, it's not I remember just... the trailers out there, and they didn't really show any talking in the trailers. It was... It almost was like a documentary. Like, it felt like dinosaurs. There was no talking. Well, I think walking with dinosaurs is a little bit like No, no, that. no, but this was... But no, this yeah, is... It was around the same time. The, yeah, this is definitely a movie movie with talking dinosaurs okay, and yep. characters and stuff. And it is kind of kind of funny. Bits of it are good. I think D.B. Sweeney voices the main dinosaur. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And my five-year-old son was really riveted to it, so... Yeah. Haven't done to watch it. Uh, I think I'm up to three for that. Oh, God damn, I'm not looking forward to that, I can tell you. No, we... we he, I mean, if it's, if it's singing in the rain, fine. If he wants to watch that, I'll watch it with him any time. Well, I think the problem is they don't teach singing in the rain as one of the subjects in prep. Oh, they should. But Dinosaurs was the theme for last term, so everything was about dinosaurs. We're hoping he might progress from that now because he's moved on to the solar system, mm. which means we get to watch those little storybook clips again on YouTube of the solar system songs but no at the moment it's still watch interstellar oh yeah and contact and gravity yeah (laughs) no but at the moment everything is still dinosaurs so we're hoping maybe we can have a bit of a reprieve from watching dinosaur movies and move on cool but speaking of adult movies or not adult movies but non-children's movies that we've been watching my wife and i watched pan well i heard that was panned by the crew. Well, I'm about to pan it too, because <laughs> the first probably half an hour of the movie is kind of interesting. Yeah. And then Hugh Jackman leaves the screen for a while, and the rest of the acting that's in it is absolutely just It just looks bald. shit. It is shit. I just looked at the trailer going, I don't want to see that film. There's well, nothing in it that looks interesting. I didn't know much about it other than seeing the trailer, and there's a bit in the trailer, and, and it happens a couple of times in the movie, where they've kidnapped all these children, and they're making them work in mines. And Hugh Jackman plays Blackbeard the Pirate or something like that. And they're doing a chant to him and they're actually chanting the lyrics of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. And there's another scene where they're, they're doing like a, a trial of, of Peter Pan who's done something wrong and they're deciding his punishment. Yeah. And they're reciting the lyrics of, I think it's Blitzkrieg Bop or one other Ramon song. Yeah. And that kind of reminded me of that whole Baz Luhrmann sort of bit from Moulin Rouge and I was like well, yeah, maybe I don't want not to watch like this not like Tale no? a little bit like Night's Tale and not as well done because yep. it's just kids saying it rather than seeing it mm. but that bit aside Hugh Jackman's great he's chewing the scenery really having a good time but there's a guy playing the role of I think it's Hook and he's kind of like an Indiana Jones character and he is just a poor man's Val Kilmer Oh. Like, I'm not even sure what this dude's from, but I didn't like him very much at all. Okay. He was probably the worst part of the movie. And he's meant to be the star? Well, him and the the kid that plays Peter are, are kind of the main yeah. heroes of the piece. And they meet up with a like a native pixie fairy sort of woman who's Rooney Mara, who was yep. from the Girl with the Dragon Tattoos. Mm-hmm. Visually, it looks great, but the story's just all over the place and it's just not enough to keep you riveted well, like, I, yeah I just looked at the trailer and there's nothing that got me interested and I remember watching Hook and I could not tell you that's a Spielberg film and I could not tell you what happened in that movie no I was just such a mess and maybe Peter Pan's a graveyard for me maybe can't get into it yeah I don't know but it, it was weird because my wife and I were watching it on Foxtel because it was on and we were like yeah maybe we'll give it a go because we had kind of thought about it and probably within about half an hour she'd picked up her iPad and she was you know still going and then she was like hey, do you want to give up on this movie and I was like no we'll, we'll keep going and then it was probably an hour in and I was at the stage where I had pretty much had enough of the movie but by then we're like more than halfway through and it was like well we may as well just see how it ends but honestly I, I can't tell you how it ended I can't remember 
there, there's a really nice scene at the start when the kids first get kidnapped by the pirates and they're flying this pirate ship through the sky and into interdimensional portals and stuff and it just visually looks great. Oh, it looks like it was made for 3D. Like yeah, well, you can tell there is... Yeah. Even the first scene where Hugh Jackman turns up and the camera's sort of like panning behind him as he's walking up like these catwalks above the mines and stuff and he jumps up on top of this platform and you just look at it and think, yep, yeah, that's meant for 3D. But yeah, as I said, the story itself just really lets it down. Like Visually good. Performance-wise, Hugh Jackman's great, but the rest of the movie I wouldn't recommend. Yep. And one other fairly new release movie that we watched at we watched at home, but it is actually I think showing at a couple of art house cinemas around Melbourne. Oh, it is that one. is a little Irish movie called Sing Street. Eighties music. Yeah, I, I'm interested in this. Well, this caused a little bit of an argument between me and my wife because I knew nothing about it. Mm. The only thing I knew was Aidan Gillian, who plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, is in it. He plays this kid's dad, and it's basically the story of a dude in the 80s that his parents are a little bit hard for cash, so they change schools, and he goes from being to a posh private school to going to a Christian Brothers school. And my wife had a bit of an issue about the whole Christian Brothers stuff. Like, I didn't read too much into the whole Christian Brothers story, but she was a bit offended by the fact that they didn't go into all the allegations of child abuse and all that sort of stuff with the Christian brothers, they kind of glossed over it a bit too much as far as she was concerned. Was it an issue in the movie? No. There was a couple of stages where you thought something bad was going to happen to this kid with the brothers, Mm. and they didn't really go down that path, and it was like, well, yeah, it's kind of weird. It didn't happen to everyone. Well, that that, that was my opinion as well, but my wife's opinion was that it happened to enough people that you probably wouldn't make light of it in in a movie. But the premise is this sort of 15, 16-year-old kid changes schools, feels like a bit of an outsider, meets this girl that he's kind of attracted to and convinces her that he's in a band and she should become part of his music video. Mm -hmm. And I loved it purely for the music. It's Irish, so it's got that sort of Irish-English sense of humour to it, kind of commitment to yeah. What got me, though, is the IMDb review referred to it as a comedy drama, but I would say out of a hour and 45 minutes movie, there's probably 15 minutes of that that you would consider a comedy movie. It's very much a heavy subject matter. Okay. It's more of a drama with comedic bits yep. rather than a comedy drama, but the music in it was excellent. Okay. It's funny because he's he's got an older brother who's a bit of a slacker and just sits at home all day listening to records. And, you know, the main character in the movie goes through these stages of being in this band. He tells this girl he's in a band, but he's not really in a band. He can only play guitar. And then he meets someone who can play almost every instrument. Yep. They then recruit the rest of the band. And the style of the band evolves based on the records that his brother's playing for him. Like Originally, they listened to Duran Duran, so their first song is very much cool in the style of Duran Duran and then he gets into the cure and he starts wearing like a black overcoat and spiking his hair up and they play like a very cure-ish type song oh, so they're original songs but they are original songs but they could basically be just yep. any generic 80s cover band cool the the music was all done by a dude called Gary Clark whose name sounded familiar but when I looked at his wiki I hadn't heard of any of the bands that he was in but he was a musician in the 80s that was in a couple of English bands. As I said, it's it's very it's a very deep subject matter, mm. and there's a lot of characters that live very fucked up lives, and it is a real serious sort of film, interspaced with a couple of very funny moments, but I think those moments are kind of made funnier by the fact that it is such a serious movie the rest of the time, but yeah. I really liked it, and I think my wife really liked it, but she, as I said, she was just a bit taken aback by the fact that it was the Christian Brothers and they didn't delve into the history of the Christian Brothers, but mm. yeah. Yeah, I recommend it. 
Cool. I definitely. definitely am keen. Yeah, for the music alone, and it's well acted, well put together. Just feels nice. Good movie. But yeah, that's my movies. Well, I've, I've got two to talk about. The first one is on Netflix. Looking through the other day, going, oh, what's on here? Let's see what's here. And we decided to watch The Man from Uncle. Because I was keen, because it's Guy Ritchie. My wife was keen, because it's Henry Cavill. And i got to tell you, I mean, the opening sequence, if you've seen the trailer, was a pretty funky car chase with these two little... Wow like Skoda sort of cars. We're talking, it's set in the 50s, 60s. It's like Cold War era where Henry Cavill plays a um, American secret agent and Army Hammer plays a Russian secret agent who are forced to work together in keeping the peace through sort of NATO-y sort of stuff. Hmm. And there's like very European cars, small European cars going on and they have a car chase and they the opening. And that's really funky and cool. Like if the best of your... Sherlock Holmesy movies that Guy Ritchie made, and then I just none of us really paid attention. It just <laughs> it just sort of got bored. I mean, admittedly, we our son was sort of making a racket during the the movie, so we were sort of pausing it quite a bit to go in and settle him. So we weren't totally absorbed in the film, but it didn't really grab us to come back kind of thing. So. Did you know the TV series it's based on? I vaguely remember. I used to watch it if I was sick from school. It used to be on in the afternoons. And I vaguely remember that. So I wonder if it's more of a nostalgia thing that if you really liked the TV show, you'd get more out of the movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's just... Uh, and this is the thing. I love the idea of period pieces. Like yep. Indiana Jones is a period piece for the 40s. James Bond is always contemporary. They always make a contemporary War of the Worlds. Like yep. it's set in 1890 or whenever it was written, or 1910. Yet it was made in the 50s. or the 50s film. They made it again with Spielberg and it was a contemporary film. It's like, why don't you make an old one? I mean, they did it with John Carter and Mars. They set it in time and it failed. And you go and people would love to see a James Bond film set in the 60s when they were written because it's something different and funky. Yet, after Indiana Jones was so popular, Batman was popular, let's make some old characters into movies. So they did The Shadow, they did The Phantom, and they set them all in period times. Yeah. And they failed. Yeah. And it's sort of like, is... Is they got it wrong? Or can you not do things in period times now? I don't know. Like, I personally, I would love to see it. You know? Well, yeah, going back to the X-Men, the modern X-Men mm. movies, the ones that were set by Days of Future Past that were set in the 60s, yep. the period bits of that were really good. Yeah, so I think it can work. It's just This one just didn't grab for whatever reasons. I don't know. Like, especially a kid's going to watch A Man From U.N.C.L.E. Like, when I say kids, I'm 15-year-olds who go out to see a movie, you know, because what else are you doing on a weekend when you're 15? It's like, I'm going to go to the movies with my mate, go see The Man From U.N.C.L.E. It was cool as an adult watching it, like, really cool suits, the clothing, the this, nostalgia, like you said. But do 15-year-olds care? Where, I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, like, with James Bond films, I don't, I haven't watched the last one that came out. I didn't think much of Quantum of Solace. No. Yet, as much as I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Tom Cruise, if there was a new Mission Impossible out, I'd check that out before I'd seen the Exchange One. Hmm. And it's sort of like, is it, is it a relevance thing now? So, it, it it just wasn't the greatest film. Like, a Guy Ritchie can do stuff, but it wasn't as cool as the um, Sherlock Holmes movies. It, it, it had the potential to be. It just... I, I think the problem now is that James Bond and stuff like that always used to be based around a story. And they would have one sort of set, really good action scene, like the car chase or that sort of stuff. Stunt. Yeah. Whereas the Mission Impossible movies are a series of stunts with a bit of story to tie them together. Kind of cool. Like, well, they're all very different, and that's well, the last two have been very similar because the directors are similar. But the first one was, I forget who, De Palma, I think, directed it. 
That was an action film. He yeah. wanted to make a James Bond sort of movie, and that's what that's what they sort of made. Second one was John Woo, who made a very action-orientated film, like around set pieces. Yep. With the terrible plot. There was no plot. It was just purely, here's the set piece. How do we get from set piece to set piece? Number three was J.J. Abrams? Yeah, I think so. And that's great. Like, the, the script is phenomenal. Like, it's a really smart movie. Yeah. Like, it's really good. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is the great bad guy. Like, it's a really good film. And they sort of go, oh, no, these are real films now. And, yeah. And then 4 was directed by Brad Bird, who's a Pixar director. Yeah. And it's got some really nice visual set pieces. But the plot was pretty good and tight. And then the most recent one is directed by Tom's friend who did Jack Reacher or something. So I think he got his friend. But it was a great film. Like, I really enjoyed it. I went in there and it was a fun movie to watch. Like, it's, and that's what you want from these sort of things. Yeah. But yeah, like, to, you know, I used to love, grew up loving James Bond, but I just haven't cared. I think and I the, like Daniel Craig too, but I just don't care. I think the problem is that what used to be what you'd expect in a James Bond movie, the stunts, the, the smarminess, mm. the coolness of the character, has been done better in other movies now. And the fact that you've now got like the Jason Bourne, yeah. all those series, you've got the Jack Reacher series, you've got other versions of James Bond that are better than James Bond, and I think that's why... Well, I, I really love Casino Royale. When they brought Daniel Craig in, it's like he was great and the, he was the thug and did parkour and it was a really good movie and it was a good characterization of him. Quantum of Solace was just a bit shit. Yeah. And then the third movie was just like, oh, this has took three movies to get to this point. Like, this is an origin, like three movies to make this. So when it came to the most recent one coming out, I just didn't care. Yeah, I didn't care. And I never made it. Like, I mean, if I didn't have a young son... I probably would have got to it because I got to a lot more movies just for the hell of getting out. Now I sort of pick and choose the films I see, so therefore that didn't get a Guernsey. But I did make the time last year to see the latest Mission Impossible, which made me think the other day just my, you know, why I'm giving Tom my money because it just seems more interesting. But yeah, so Hmm. that that was Man from Uncle. I just can't recommend it. It was just a, I don't know. If I I was in it from the get-go and no distractions at the start, I might have been more into it. But yeah, a lot of iPad viewing and playing Futurama, Game of Drones on the phone while I was playing. I think that's kind of the difference of watching a movie at home and watching it at the cinema as well. It would have been great at the cinema. Because yeah, at the cinema you don't have that distraction. Even if it's a bad movie, you're still kind of... You're in. You're in, exactly. Yeah, so the other film I see is actually at the cinemas, and it's sort of a big hot topic at the moment, and that is Ghostbusters. Ah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I'm keen to see this or not. For me, it ticks a lot of boxes of why it could be good. It's good. I like Melissa McCarthy. I like Paul Feig and the, the movies that he's done previously, mm-hmm. The Heat well, and two reasons to go Spy. see it so far. Yep. I don't like Kristen Wiig, so that's kind of a negative. Well, it's just typical Kristen Wiig, but that's fine. She's winning me over slowly. Yeah, and I don't want to sound sexist because I'm not sexist. I'm not saying... So, uh... Well, I'm not saying that I don't think it was necessary to do this with women. I just don't think it was necessary to reboot Ghostbusters, regardless of whether they're women or not. Because it's not really a, a sequel to Ghostbusters, is it? It's, nope, nope. Brand new start. It's a brand new reboot. Yeah. All right, so win me over. Tell me why I should like this movie. Well, it's a tough one to say. <laughs> I... There is no, there's no reason for any movie to be made, let alone remaking something else. But if we, if you don't want remakes, then we would never have got John Carpenter's The Thing. So I'm glad we got that one. We wouldn't have got the second version of The Thirty Nine Steps, which Hitchcock made the first one and the second one. But so remakes aren't an issue. Like, and I, this movie is not made for you. 
It's not made for me. This movie is made for 15-year-old kids. It's, yeah. it's uh, 15-year-old kids are not looking for a 1984 movie called Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd's that fat old guy who sells vodka. Yeah. He's not the must-see guy who was in Dr. Detroit and trading places you know it, it's a different time so as much as we love the cultural phenomenon that was Ghostbusters I don't see it as a movie that people are looking for if you're under a certain age yeah I love old cinema I will track down old movies I will watch old movies sort of the older the better I love flicking through the channel on, channels on a Saturday afternoon and seeing a black and white movie on one it's like oh what's this I don't know what this is just because it's such a unique thing for me but I love movies I love cinema for that reason yeah a lot of people they wouldn't touch a black and white movie. No, I'm, I'm one of those people. Yeah. I, I don't really like going back and watching old movies. And it's strange because when I do actually go back and watch them, I normally enjoy what I'm watching. Mm. But yet I would much rather re-watch like an 80s, 90s movie than go back to 60s, 50s, even no, I mean, where I love that old shit. Yeah. Where Ghostbusters is something that's... It's it's such a unique film. You go back and watch the first movie, they're not... It's not an action film, but it is action-y. It's not a comedy but it is comedy it's not a horror movie but it is got horror yeah. elements it, it's it's a hodgepodge of everything and it's got science and they've got the proton packs and all these sort of things they've got stuff in it but they're not weapons per se you know it's it's just such a unique film in that sort of way so they've, they've remade it like yeah. I remember at the time I was what 84 so I would have been 11 12 when I saw it yeah now it's, it's I remember at the time the reviews weren't great for it. Yeah. I loved it and all my friends loved it because, of course, we loved it. We were 12 and it was going Exactly. Places. But critics didn't like it. Yeah. You know? And it starred Bill Murray, who was in Caddyshack and yeah. Stripes and, and all these other movies that, that I've stage, been watching. Oh, I don't know. Because I think when I saw it, I was 13 and I knew who Bill Murray was, but I don't think I'd really seen a Bill Murray movie. Well, Caddyshack, I definitely would have seen. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd seen Stripes at that stage. I probably did. But I, I can kind of remember I saw Ghostbusters and I don't think I'd really seen any of the hype leading into it. And but Dan Aykroyd I, I knew because I was a big Blues Brothers fan. Yeah. Well, I, I would have seen the Blues Brothers, but I know when I saw it, I didn't know a lot about Ghostbusters. But then after I did see it, it was like, wow, this is my new favorite movie. Sort of thing. Yeah. So that, yeah. that movie was, at the time, we were the right age for it. So we've got great nostalgia for those movies. When the second one came out, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And it was panned. Like, I remember it being not that well liked. It was just remaking the first one to a lot of extent, blah, blah, yeah. blah, all this sort of stuff. So I was like, okay, that's cool. So can't wait how many years later now they've gone and rebooted it and done it again. It's like, well, why not? Like, there's no reason not to. People wanted a continuation. There was a third movie that Reitman, I think, had written or Ramus had written, but Bill Murray was the one who didn't want to come back. And that became the, the video game, didn't it? I probably loosely I'm not sure but yeah so why not make it for a new generation yeah. Paul Feig Paul Feig 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 he I mean he's directed Melissa McCarthy and things he did did he do Bridesmaids I think so he definitely uh, did The Heat and Spy alright The Heat and Spy but it's very female centric and driven so yeah. he's sort of a feminist at heart when he's making these movies and these movies are being seen by the 51% of the population that is out there that you know don't have cocks and it's like well <laughs> that's good and it, there is chick flicks and there's blokey flicks and you know things like you could say all the Marvel movies are blokey flicks because it's got a white blonde guy called Chris generally acting in the starring role yeah and girls can go see it because they're pretty but it's not a girls movie no it's a guys movie that girls like whereas oh but you've got chick flicks they're sisters of the travelling pants well there's the first 
Wives Club and blah, blah, blah. So there's chick flicks out there, but it's like, yeah, they're very specific. Yeah. But why not have a chick flick that's an action comedy? Give me another one. Tell me another one that exists. The Heat? (laughs) Spy? Yeah, well, there you go. That's it. So why not a Ghostbusters one? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's not... A chick flick in any way that's like, oh, this is the female Ghostbusters. They just happen to be f- yeah, that's what I four it's, female yeah. characters. And that kind of works. I do have some problems with it. We saw it Friday night, just before we recorded Geek Dudes. We went out and saw it together and then didn't say anything about the film before we got back. It was a very awkward conversation where we were talking about other things and not actually mentioning the movie we just watched until we got on. And Jonesy liked it. I liked it. We didn't come away glowingly loving it or anything, but we liked it. But Fresh was very middle of the road before the podcast, like as he was starting to talk. By the end of the talk, his talk about it, he was heading towards the negative, but he had a lot more invested in it by the sound of it. Like, this is his thing. Like, he he really loved Ghostbusters and the toys and the cartoon and all this sort of stuff, where I never really bought into the cartoon. Never had the toys. I just really loved the movie. Yeah, I don't remember having the toys. I definitely had the soundtrack album, Mm. and I I can remember having a Ghostbusters calendar one year, and I had the -the glow-in-the-dark cup that you got from the cinema, and I I had that for many years That's from Ghostbusters 2. Oh, was it? Yeah, well, they they may have done it for the first one. I had it for the second one. Yeah, that that was my cup. Drinks out of a glowing thing. Exactly, but that, that definitely sat next to my bed as my bedside cup yes. for many a year after Ghostbusters. Close that little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, um, so yeah, so Fresh really didn't like it. Now, I liked what it was. The thing I don't like about it, like it was it was good. There was elements that were really well done. The special effects were really good. It'd be colourful, if anything. And I, I remember when they talked about Ghostbusters back in the day, is like, why'd you make a comedy? It's like, because if we didn't make a comedy, it'd be really scary. Yeah. And there's elements in that movie that are scary. In the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. It could be a really scary horror film. And they made a comedy. And the same with this one is like, they could, there's some really good moments that they've set up to be horrors and they turn into gags, which is what you do for this movie. I understand. And you're trying to make it for 12 year olds. You're trying to make it for families. It's not an adult movie. You know, it's a family movie. So you can't go too scary because you want people to see it. And you want people to see it multiple times. So they sort of just really good tensiony bits. And then, oh, gag. It's like, oh, you could have taken that a little bit further. But that's not a problem with the film. It's just, I understand what it is. You know, mm. it's like you could, you know, you got an Avengers movie and there could be collateral damage. You're not going to show limbs coming off because it's Avengers. Why? You want 12 year olds to see this. You don't want to scare them with people dying. So it's interesting in that way. The only problem I have with, I would say, would be the all the characters are cartoonish. Where I don't think, and maybe I'm too invested in the original one to see the, to see the roles any other different. But Rick Moranis is quite cartoony in the original. Yeah. But the others are still functional human beings. Yes, yeah. they're quirky, but they're still quite functional. Yeah. Where these characters in the new film, they all seem Rick Moranis-level cartoonish. It's like, you, you wouldn't function in society. None of you, mm. no one That's in this true. movie would. The mayor, the mayor's assistant, like, everybody in this movie is just that comedic level of cartoonish. And it's sort of like, just, just pair that back a bit, and then the gags become funnier. Because Bill Murray is not cracking jokes. He's just a sarcastic bastard yeah. in the first movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, with this one, it's, it's just... But maybe I'll see it again. I'm not sure. Because that, that was my initial reaction. I was watching it with a critical eye because that's what we were doing. We were watching this movie because we were going to talk about it straight away. Yeah. So I was... Uh, and when... Unfortunately, it's not like, what are they doing well? When I watch it with that sort of eye, it's like, that was a bad joke. 
they did that badly. Why did they make that choice? I watch it negatively in yeah. a way. So I sort of come away with the, all the negatives highlighting, and they're not that many. It's, it's it's a good film, and I recommend you go see it. The trailer was terrible, obviously, which has been yeah, discussed and exactly. everything, and that has hurt that movie so much. Not only that, there's a bunch of dickheads on the internet who don't want female Ghostbusters and all these sort of things. But coming away from that trailer, I love Kate McKinnon. I adore I've adored her on Saturday Night Live for, for years so I was looking forward to her being that the quirkiest of the quirky characters in the end she was kind of annoying to me yeah. where people I look on Twitter you look at females who watch this show watch this movie they are loving this movie absolutely loving this movie and they love her so I was like I don't know what I'm missing I don't know what I was ex- it, again it's not what I was expecting maybe I wanted something else out of her and they gave me something different other people are loving that that character exists. I don't know. Melissa McCarthy, I'm not a fan of. She won me over by the end of the film in the role. Yep. I'm not saying I'm going to go see her, all her films, but she was better. But I think the character was better by the end of the role. At the start, she was annoying and she got better. Um, Kristen Wiig was fine. I think she should have played it straighter, but she Kristen Wigged it in a lot of roles. Yeah. And the last one... Patty, which is the um, African-American woman. Is Leslie Jones? Is that yes, her that's yeah. I thought she would annoy me. In the trailer, it's like, that's a character that will annoy the shit out of me. She was my favourite in the end. She was absolutely awesome. Did you find you were comparing them too much to the original, though? And I probably was, in the way that it's like, why are you playing it like that if you played that more like Harold Ramis? Or if you played that more like... But more... I was sort of lamenting that it's like, where's the Bill Murray? Yeah. And that's what I'm looking at it going... I didn't like Kristen Wiig's characterization. Like, there were certain elements there. It's like, could she have been the Bill Murray? And then you're looking at Ms. Melissa McCarthy going, maybe she could have been the Bill Murray. And I didn't want that. Yeah. Like, I don't want them to copy, but I didn't want them to all be so comedic. So I'm not sure what. So in the end, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually keen to see it again. My wife would like to see it. So I was like, oh, I don't mind seeing it again. And now that I know what I'm in for, I'm just going to take the characters for what they are, not the what they could or should have been. Because just, I wish they were better. In that way. It wasn't yeah. a bad film. I just wish certain things were done. But it's for a different audience, a modern audience, and maybe this sort of broad comedy is what they want. And need, I'm not sure. It was like The Bridesmaid, The Hangover, all this sort of hit you over the head with the comedy instead of being a little more subtle hmm. or snarky or anything like that. But the biggest thing I've seen, like, like I said, my female friends or people I follow on Facebook or Twitter, they are gushing over this film. Okay. And one of them was saying why it's like not only did I enjoy it what the most I got out of it was the 12 year old girl sitting two rows in front of me who was visibly moved every time they shot off a proton pack or whenever they did something and it's like oh that is important yeah like forgetting the quality of the movie quality of the acting quality of the jokes that is important because we've had those movies all my life yeah these are the movies where we can look at a white hero kick ass by turning that lightsaber on or shooting or whatever they do flying Whatever it is. This is a movie where four girls are going off doing that. Guys aren't doing it. Yeah. They're not being saved by guys. They're doing it. They're kicking ass themselves. And it's science. It's not violence. It's not, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, maybe it is important. Maybe we need a lot more of these. And that's that's what makes this... And there was a great photo people put up online where it was at the premiere and Kristen Wiig's meeting two young, we're talking 10, 12-year-old girls. And one girl's dressed in a Ghostbusters outfit and she's like all excited to meet her and there's another girl behind her who's just in awe just staring at this woman okay. and it's like we've had it pretty good yeah. for a long time <laughs> well that's like something I heard the other day it was someone commented like if you don't like the fact that there's not males in every role playing these action characters go and watch one of the other 10,000 films that Hollywood put out exactly. that does have men in like, the main roles it's like 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, uh, I mean, there's so many people that are out there pissed off about this movie. It's like, well, you can still watch Ghostbusters if you want. Yeah. They haven't ruined that on you. This is a new film for new people and you don't have to watch it. But the worst thing I heard today was Leslie Jones has actually been run off Twitter with the amount of hate and vitriol that people have been sending her through public social media. Yeah. And it's just disgusting. It like is, she's an it? actress yeah. playing a role. No one deserves that, no, ever. Right? And she's, like I said, she was my favourite thing in it in the end. I was going in there expecting to hate her. And I come away going, no, you were, she was great. That's why this movie's important, because this shit shouldn't happen. Yep. And it's highlighting the fact that this shit is happening. So, scary that Ghostbusters is an important film. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I'd recommend it. I think, go. I would love to hear what your wife thinks about it, because... Being a, a strong feminist, yeah, that she is. and it's yeah. like, will she is she on that board of liking it, or is the quality of film going to be more important than the feminist aspects of it? But yeah, I mean, it was fun for what it was. I was entertained for the time I was in there. I would like to see another one. Okay, so yeah, um, it's good and important. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, one other film that we have just watched together, and something that's a bit more in our wheelhouse, I guess. Yeah. is the, I would say, wrestling documentary, but there's not a lot of wrestlingness in it. No. But the recent film, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, which yep. has now been released on DVD and is on Netflix. Yep. And a bit of a backstory, if you don't know who Jake the Snake was, he was a mega wrestling star, you would say. Oh, he yeah, was, he was rival to Hulk Hogan for a short period there, wouldn't he? He was the number one bad guy in the WWF at yep. one stage of his career. And he came to the ring with a boa constrictor in a bag. Mm -hmm. And when he won the match, he would then put his snake on his fallen opponent. And he just had a a quality about him in his psychology of just being the bad guy. If you you don't know wrestling, if you think you know wrestling or you sort of remember Hulk Hogan days and stuff, if you've got a person, a bad guy wrestler, he would be yelling at you in in an interview or whatever. It's like, he'd scream and yell. From what I know limited knowledge of anything before that he was the first wrestler to sort of talk and he was one of the best speakers one of the best promo men in the business where he wouldn't yell and that's what made him scary and dangerous is he was he was cold he had that sort of psycho killer quality about him yeah that yeah he would be very psychological straight to the point yeah and it wasn't yeah it wasn't exaggerated it wasn't exaggerated it was like this guy is seriously deranged. This guy is dangerous. Yeah. You've got to be careful with this guy. And he was never a big, you know, muscle-headed monster like the rest of the people that they were throwing up against Hulk Hogan. Mm. He didn't have a great physique, but he had a great look. He had, you know, the moustache, the long hair, just the look about him just... And he was a yeah. massive name. And he was, I mean, he was a heel for most of it, but he was a face at some point. And he was yeah. sort of loved by the crowd. And, like, all good heels are loved because you want, you know... Yeah, you, you love you, a good bad guy. Exactly. You've got to uh, have a good bad guy to make the good guy look better. Yeah, so he, he was a big name for a while there. He sort of had his demons. There was yep. a documentary called Beyond the Mat from 1998-ish, around yep. that era. And it's mostly about him. It's about a bunch of different aspects of the wrestling business at the time. Yeah, I think it covered sort of three main people and he was one of the main storylines in it and his story was pretty damn tragic like he was and if you look at the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke you can easily say that's his life it's Jake the Snake's life where he was one of the biggest names in the business big paychecks doing really well super famous travelling the world and doing all the drugs drinking all the booze sleeping with all the women ignoring his family doing everything the worst way possible he did it 
and got to a point where he, well, you wouldn't say he hit rock bottom because he's done it a few times, so you don't know where bottom is for him. But, yeah. you know, he's ostracized from his family. He's he's doing shitty gigs at indie wrestling shows. He's out of, he's out of shape. He's getting arrested. He's doing all these yeah. sort of things. Yeah, and, and I think the, the shitty indie wrestling show was the catalyst of what started this. Well, because, this, this doco, yeah. Yeah, because he did a show where he rocked up far, in too, in, to yeah, far too intoxicated to be in the ring. Mm. And from what I've read on the internet, which they didn't really delve into in the documentary, from what I've read on the internet, when he first rocked up, he went up to the promoter and said to him, instead of paying me what you owe me for this show, go and buy me some cocaine and they'll take that before I go and wrestle because I need that to perform sort of thing. And he got in the ring, not in a state where he should have been, made a bit of a mockery of the match and, and just basically made an ass of himself. Yeah, and this, this footage got up on TMZ. We sort of got it as a nationwide sort of expose probably forgotten by most people people who remember Jake the Snake would have seen it going oh that's another wrestler gone down the tubes Yeah. but wrestling fans would have seen it and heard about it and they would have heard about it through the dirt sheets and it's like oh Jake's off the wagon again yeah. it's not good it's all good now there's another wrestler called Diamond Dallas Page I don't think we've talked about him much on this podcast in the past don't think so where he's a um, one of the most positive people you'll ever hear speak yeah he's a guy who was around the business of wrestling for a long time but then decided to get into the business at the age of 35 so he probably missed those demon years where if you're going to write yourself off and mess yourself up he's missed that He's come in with a bit more respect for his body and looked after himself. Yes and no. I think he'd done his demons in different ways. Mm. Like he was a manager of a strip club for a lot of years before he got into the business. Mm. And it was one of those things where all the wrestlers would go to that strip club when they were in town and he became friends with the wrestlers and then kind of got into the business that way. But Jake was one of his idols and mentors when he first got into the business. And from seeing Jake... What he became. Yeah, what he became, he then reached out and sort of went, you know, I can help you. We need to get you back on track. And the thing with Diamond Dallas Page, though, is he's, he's... I don't know what his age is now, but he does. He he took up yoga, like he was a mess. Like all, all wrestlers, the body's a shot. You know, you you put your body through a lot of things, and his body was shot. And to recuperate or to recover from surgeries and some injuries, he was recommended to do yoga. And being a typical man and a typical you know wrestling sort of person, it's like I'm not doing fucking yoga. Yeah. And in the end, he sort of had to just to rehab, and he found himself. This is his story. He found himself um, sweating, and it was really hard. I was like, hang on, this is harder than I thought. Well, this yoga's stupid. And he put a heart rate monitor on and worked out his heart was working overtime, doing all this stuff, and he saw the benefits of it. So he sort of rejigged it and pretty much tweaked the yoga to suit him better, and he's come up with a company and infomercial that yeah. is DDP Yoga, which is not your mum's yoga or whatever he calls it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he uses this to rehab and get better. So this is what he was going to use. So it, it, this documentary is produced by Diamond Dallas Page. He's one of the producers on it. And it's all about how he gets Jake to live with him for a while and they go through, it's pretty much a year yep. of let's get him on, on, on track. Now, the smart thing is, doesn't feel like an ad for DDP yoga. No, but it definitely was. It definitely was, but it doesn't, it's not... It could have been a lot cheesier in that side of it. Yeah. Where it could have been about... And there's a lot of DDP in this where he's talking to camera a bit and he's talking to... But a lot more of just the camera watching them interact. Yeah. But it could have easily been an uplifting story of how DDP yoga saved Jake the Snake. 
but they they held it back enough that it wasn't a cheesy cheesy infomercial. Yeah, and what I really liked about it is the fact that it wasn't just DDP doing yoga with him. It was DDP being motivational for him, making Jake feel that he was actually worth something, that his life had meaning. And I think the the comment that Jake kept coming up with a lot was, my history isn't my destiny or something like that. And it was this mantra that he had... That like T-shirt. Oh, exactly. Well, I know what came first, the T-shirt. No, well, it probably was the came first, and then they put it on the T-shirt. But the the fact that he was kind of teaching him how to eat better, doing the yoga, getting him in shape, and you, it wasn't all positive. There was like stages where he did relapse. Yeah, he relapsed. He he'd go back to his drinking and that sort of stuff, which which kind of showed that yeah, he was human. And yep. it's not you know, it's not you start this and your life's going to be perfect from now on. It's it was a struggle for him to get back on his feet and back where he was and along the way they sort of the other wrestler that they were friends with Scott Hall was also in a really bad way and then they reached out to him as well and it was kind of like well you know you've seen what I can do with Jake yep. it's only been a few months and he's you know better Clean than he was days, yep. yeah why don't we give you a go as well and it was kind of a weird sort of buddy film for a little while with the three of them hanging out getting yep. their shit together and the, the ongoing premise I guess was Jake wanted to get back in shape so he could start having a relationship with his family again and possibly get back in the ring and, and do a Royal Rumble. But it turned around and in the end, it was him getting his life back into a stage where WWE put him in the Hall of Fame in 2014. Yep. Same year, Scott Hall also went into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, it, it very much was an infomercial for the positivity of, of Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah. But it still kind of shone that light on what many wrestling fans kind of feel is once you're out of the limelight, your life pretty much goes to shit. Like, you see so many wrestlers die young, and a lot of them, once they stop being big-name stars, they just don't know what to do with their lives. And they turn to drugs and alcohol and... Well, they've just, already got them in... Well, yeah, someone we, like Jake yeah. had them to start Yeah, well, exactly. With, and that's all he had left. Like, yeah. you take away the notoriety, the travel, the wrestling, and he's still got the drugs and the booze, and that's all you've got. Yeah. And, and very, no relationship with his family. And that was one of the big things from Beyond the Mat as well. They interviewed his daughter, Brandy, and she was just like this chubby emo kid that was writing poetry about how much she hated her dad and yep. the fact that she only ever saw him when he was on TV. She never saw him like mm. in the flesh or anything. And seeing in the in this movie that he's now got a relationship with his kids again and she was in it and she was happy to be around her dad, which was really good. Yeah. So... It, it- like it, like I said, it's a very subtle ad for DDP yoga. They don't mention it once, I think, but he's constantly wearing a t-shirt yeah. of it and things like that. I, I think, though, when they filmed this, because this was filmed 2013, 2014, it wasn't as big as DDP yoga is now. Mm. I think DDP yoga has really turned into a massive industry for Diamond Dallas Page. And he is making quite a lot of money off okay. this and his, the success stories of what he's done with it speak for themselves. Because, I mean, the intention, I think, would have been we're going to get Jake, we're going to clean him up, we're just going to go on the Rumble. That yeah. would have been the ideal documentary there. Yeah. Didn't quite pan out that way. Still got a positive ending. Now, he didn't get his... Spoilers. He didn't get his Royal Rumble moment. Yeah. But he did get... He did get a Raw moment. Yeah. On the, on a, on a show called Raw. And he, he got the headliner, essentially, in the fact that they did a retro Raw or Legends Raw, yep. where they brought all the old guys back and they all had sort of moments of the show. And yeah, in the end, and he had the big closing he moment. He had the closing moment. So it was a big deal in that way. 
and I don't remember seeing it. You did. And I said, yeah. was it any good? And you go, the whole show was a bit shit. And so I was like, okay. But in the way they cut this in that they're all watching and he comes out, he has his moment and they've cut it together to look like it's a grand moment. Now, technically, in Jake the Snake's life, it's a grand moment. The actual spot itself, you said, was a bit shit. Yeah. And it's interesting because last July we watched the Iron Sheik documentary, The Sheik, also on Netflix. Yeah. And just seeing the difference, I guess, between what kind of the Sheik's life turned into as opposed to Jake's life being really shit and coming back. Whereas the Sheik's life kind of still is kind of shit, but he's made the gimmick that he's this washed up has been that now rants and raves on Twitter and, you know, swears Mm. and carries on. I mean, that's, I mean, I look at Jake's life and it still doesn't look great. No. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. Cause he's like, I said, he relapsed a few times and they go, we're not getting him outside of anything. Like it's a, it's a wrestling and, at Paige's house. That's it. Um, yeah. Is he going to relapse because he's got nothing else? I mean, yes, he's starting to build a relationship up with his family again, which is fantastic. He, I think he was talking about Snake Radio or something, which was he does like a podcast, a podcast or yeah. a radio show or something like that. So he has got an outlet, I guess. I mean, the thing, and I mean, I don't have a substance abuse issue, so I don't know what it's like, but if he's got nothing else, I mean, it's easy to fall back into those yeah. situations. Admittedly, it wasn't like the Sheik where he was sitting out the front of Denny's with a, a pile of 8 by 10 signing autographs walking around with his heavyweight title belt. Yeah. No, it wasn't that sad, no. 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 But just looking at his house when Dallas went to pick him up, he was living in a very sort of, you know, just suburban-looking house. It wasn't the sort of house you'd expect someone who was probably a a millionaire in the 80s to be living in now. Mm. But then even Dallas Page's house. Like, you mentioned it while we were watching it. There's a few times where they were doing yoga, and he had this house full of, like, hanger-oners, like, wrestling fans that were all just sort of chilling out, doing yoga with him. But they weren't in the studio or anything. They were just doing yoga in his kitchen or yoga in his his lounge room. room. They pushed the couch and the telly is around. They're doing in the middle of that. And I'm thinking, turn your garage into a studio or something. Yeah, exactly. But you said maybe it was early days in the DDP yoga thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, Doco, but you posted on Facebook as we were watching it and we got a, a response from one of our friends talking about, when you watch it, did you think, you know, we know they're such good, you know, manipulators with the yeah. mic, with words. This is what they've done. Like he, we said earlier that he was one of the best Definitely. promo guys out there. Yeah. You can joke that a lot of wrestlers, they get lost to promo land. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan lives in promo land. Oh, yeah, like for you, sure. You can't turn it off. And that's what the Sheik is, you know, walking around with a belt. That's, he's living yeah. in promo land. Yeah. And you go... How much is promo? Yeah, exactly. How much, How much was he working us? Yeah. Really? Because it's all about manipulation. Yeah. And you sort of watch this show and go, mm, and that's why I go, is it an ad for DDP yoga? Did they really want to? I mean, of course they want to help their mate out and they yeah. want to get him clean. And there were a It's a great story if they can. I mean, that's what they, they want to get him clean and they want to get it documented because it's, it's going to help DDP yoga. They're going to help their mate out. Everyone wins. That's yeah. what they want. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jake was already starting to get indie bookings and stuff like that again because people were like, oh, yeah, he's in good shape. Because along the way, while they were filming this, they were running the DDP YouTube channel and they were putting clips up. Yeah. And, yeah, they were building it along. And there there was a couple of scenes where I looked at it and I thought, you know, it's meant to be this fly on the wall watching them as they're doing stuff. And it was kind of like, well, it looks like they've rehearsed this before. It's like they've, you know, they've worked out their promo of what they're actually going to say. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it was interesting to watch, and it is an uplifting story, but the ads that they're shilling at the moment, because DDP Yoga sponsors a lot of the podcasts that we listen to, like the Stone Cold podcast, and the ads that they're running on that is like, oh, yeah, watch this DVD, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel for a minute. It's like, 
there was all laughs in it, but I think we were laughing more at Jake's expense than we were. Yeah. Jake's trying to do yoga in his shoulder, yeah. Poppy got him. was one of the funniest things. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I was going to cry at any time in the movie. No. It was, it was uplifting, but it didn't make me want to rush out and buy DDP yoga. Well, I mean, we did see DDP live in Australia earlier this year. Yeah. And he came out promoting this documentary and his, his yoga. And he turned up on a live wrestling show. And they showed a clip on that about a paratrooper. Yeah. Who had that many jumps that now his spine had compacted and his knees were shot because he, you know, parachute landing so many times. And he was on two crutches and all this sort of stuff and could hardly pick up his kid. And it was a good five to ten minute long journey of him not being able to do much by the end doing one-legged squats or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. And that was so much more manipulative in the fact that you had the swirling music at the end and the, this is what Diamond Dallas Page did for me. So it could have done that. Yeah. And they didn't. It did yeah. feel kind of a bit more gritty and real in that way and showing him do the relapses and that sort of stuff. It was it was a bit more real that way. They could have easily turned it into that schmaltzy bullshit. Yeah. of how he got there and so full credit for not doing that definitely not the best doc I've seen and no it, it's not for non-wrestling fans no, like it's not. not like beyond the mat I could recommend to non-wrestling fans yeah that is a great documentary because you're looking at the, the real stories yeah of it's, it's letting you behind the curtain almost yeah or beyond the mat yeah whereas this does feel like there's a because that's the thing with documentaries I've, I've talked about it a bit on the shooting the poo podcast and that where you go into a documentary with a story to tell, you just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Like, unless you're doing a historical documentary, obviously, you, you know what you want to tell. Yeah, Hitler was a prick. That's, that's And there is a spin. Yes. There always is. But sometimes you don't know what it is yet until you start filming. Depending on... When you're doing a journey, you're, f- you're following the journey of Jake the Snake, you don't know where it's going to end. Exactly. They didn't know that Jake was going to you know, become clean. They, for yeah. all they knew, he could have... You know, walked into DDP's office and stayed there for a week and just went, you know, fuck you, I'm leaving, I'm going back to the bottle. Yeah, so, I mean, so they would have had the intention of going, this could be a great story. If we can get him right, we can do yeah. this. And he goes in the rumble, then we've told, we've got a great journey here that we can tell. Didn't quite work out as well. They got their uplifting ending and that sort of stuff, but they did okay. And how many more relapses did he have? Did he ever really get clean? You know, it's not good for the story if he yeah. didn't. And I mean, he, he definitely looked healthier by the end oh, of it. Oh, he did. Even just cutting his hair made him look better. <laughs> yeah, looked like new teeth by the end too. But, you know, so, so it's, it's all manipulation. Everything's manipulation. Yep. There's, you know, it was, it was definitely interesting. But yeah, if you're not a wrestling fan, if you have watched Beyond the Mat, and I do recommend you see that, even as a non-wrestling fan, it's just a very good documentary. It's a real good companion piece because I think you need to yeah. know So if you see that, story. then you could watch The Resurrection yeah. of Jake the Snake. If you're going to only watch one, watch Beyond the Mat. If you watch Beyond the Mat and you want to see the next phase of Jake the Snake, go into this one. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. For me, though, I think the highlight of the movie was just seeing Scott Hall in his ICP Hatchet Man jersey <laughs> when they first picked him up at the airport. Unexpected. It was funny. And just that little scene, like the post credit scene of the three guys getting back in the ring and just being three grumpy old men yep. wrestling again was kind of cool as well. Yeah, definitely for fans of wrestling. But, yeah, it's it's... A little too in-house for non-wrestling fans, I think. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to watch. Cool. All right. Well, that's probably us for the month. I think so. So, again, if you have any feedback for us, we are the Massive Attack Podcast on Facebook. We are themapodcast.podbean.com. Please give us some reviews on iTunes because it's been a long time since we've had any. And, yeah, find us anywhere that you find podcasts. Podcasts. 
And until next month, thank you very much, Mitch. Celebration starting under the street